Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Tom Annis. I'm Alex Coos. I'm Brinton Williams. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! I am super excited to have the Scrying Gems return to do a little pre-Masters meta discussion. We're going to be taking a look. You know, there's the matchup video cast coming up with Matt Carmack, who he's doing an awesome job this year streaming uh, for Masters. So we're not going to be looking so much at, at, at individual people, personalities, or matchups or anything like that. Uh, you'll be able to find that, guys, on that matchup cast. What we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at what the meta has been doing going into Masters. We're going to talk a little of, of some recent big events. So, so what do we think? You know, people have been playing. What's been working well? What's been doing well? And then we'll sort of take that into Masters itself. We're going to look at the list for Masters. We got a lot of great data for you guys. A lot of top flight analyses by the Scrying Gems. We're going to be looking at uh, faction breakdown. We're going to act, we're going to take a deep dive into some of the top taken factions. You know, what's similar in their lists? What are uh, you know? within a faction what's the ecosystem you know what people are taking and then we'll wrap it up with some hot takes uh and get everyone's idea of who we think we're going to do well but first let's go quick around the table and just say hello to everyone it's nice to to have you guys on let's start with with you Britain. how have things been doing i know uh it wouldn't be masters if you weren't trying to pay the whole army a couple months before yeah yeah coming in under practiced underslept and with a painting deadline is my norm so i'm doing it again i uh started the army which you'll see at masters um after i got back from lone wolf so just a couple months to start to finish 2300 point army which is not my normal style i'm normally two years uh so it's been a learning experience it's been fun uh, i still have a lot to paint before i leave town at the end of this week i'll get there and and we'll and you know we'll talk about uh your uh list once we you know uh, are going through the discussion your nice friendly no no bad days here no no falling downs it's themed it's a theme it's list. Uh-huh. I always love it. Love it. Alex, how have you been doing? I know you're not you're not making it to Masters or Best of the Rest this year, but I know even for us, uh, uh, even for people who don't come, Masters still, right, is like the pinnacle of our year, right, when we're looking at competitive tournaments. Yeah, obviously, like, it's kind of like, it's the capstone of the year. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, scheduling-wise, couldn't make it this year. But, you know, I'm still watching with, like, a lot of uh, curiosity, and it's when we were going through this kind of analysis this week, I was, it was interesting because I've been kind of living in, you know, the Northeast meta almost exclusively kind of, and like the local scene haven't really been traveling much last year and going to many and doing much UB. So my meta vision has been kind of tunnel vision. So it's very interesting to see what else is going on in, you know, the other regions. And I think it's going to be a great tournament. I think there's a lot of, a lot of interesting ideas being, you know, expressed in the lists. 
So I'm curious to see how it all uh, all turns out. Yeah, and we're going to cover that. We're going to look at what we sort of expected prior to Masters, and then are we seeing in Masters like what we suspected? Is there anything new? I know, Tom, you've, you've talked in the past before. You always love looking at what people take to Masters because it is sort of you have this population of the better players in the country, not only bringing what they want to bring, but they're trying to think, you know, what's going to be there? You know, what do I bring knowing what I think is going to be there? And that's like a really interesting space to exist within, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's people, competitive people trying to be competitive. I mean, in a lot, even some of the larger tournaments, the better players will just play something that they think is fun or, or whatever, because they've already qualified for masters and it's, you know, a smaller field, even, even at Lone Wolf, for example, the, the pool of competitive players is smaller than, than the total number of players. And so, yeah, this is, this is no, you know, full frontal male nudity or, you know, it's just no, no holds barred. Nobody's trying to pull their punches. And it's, it's always just inherently interesting to see what comes out of that sort of attitude going in. Because you might in a regular tournament, you, you might bring a knife to a gunfight, right? If your knife you you just love, you love its full tank construction buoy, you know, or its leather handle, or its beautifully painted, you know, the, the Nighthawk 2000, you might bring that knife to a gunfight. But when it comes to Masters, you sort of want to put put your 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 uh, uh, put that stuff in the shelf, right? And you're going to go for like your high powered stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, it's one of the few times in the year that. You see an absolutely disgusting list that makes you throw up in your mouth, and you go, "Well done." Versus, <laughs> yeah. get out of my tournament. <laughs> There's a slow clap. There's a slow clap element to the, yeah. Yeah. this construction, yeah. and it's also uh, interesting to see like people who, when they try to ramp it up, like when they try to like really get to the bleeding edge, like do they go too far and screw up their their own play style, or do they just do something so outside their their comfort zone that it's not going to be as effective as what they've been playing all year right and we've talked about it that in the past right there's something about repetition bias right when you've played an army a bunch of times there is something really comfortable and familiar and we have seen that right from time to time where a player will try something completely new or someone will go with like their their tried and tested list you know so i think that is a, a question we ask ourselves right is how bleeding edge do we want to be and then how important is it to fully know the army and be prepped with the army that you're bringing? Yeah, because over six games, like the stress and like the fatigue really like will play a role. It, it, we should say it's still Kings. I mean, yeah, most people are playing what they've been playing this year. There's very few disgusting individuals who will just borrow an army because they think it's the most powerful thing. And I... Definitely not talking about myself. Not not even a little bit. You've, um, never, you've never done anything like that. Oh, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about you. Don't worry, Tom. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll address your life choices here in a little bit. <laughs> some of the some of the armies fall away by the wayside, and uh, you know the the armies that are getting picked a lot all have power units in them that everybody knows about. Um, and if you don't have some of those top units, you're probably not going to get picked and either at all or in any great number at a master. So that's, that's another interesting thing to think about during this cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how many, how many armies have those synergies that like tick enough of the boxes to build those power lists? So let's sort of talk about, um, you know, Keith Conroy, uh, 
brings up and we're addressing some of your guys questions as we go through and you guys brought up you guys posted a lot of fantastic questions on our facebook page a lot of good conversation starters a lot of good things to think about but keith asks he he sorts he sort of gives us five in his opinion you know archetypes right now sort of floating around in the ether and i'm curious is this consistent with like what you guys thinking is there anything he missed or or or, or what are your thoughts and he talks about you know in his mind, sort of the, the the key power players, right, coming to the party is you got you have the goblin trash meta with you know trombones, slashers, some of their heroes. You have the forces of nature, air elemental list, right? Uh, greater air elementals, different elements there. The uh, the Radigan special, which is a scorchwing spam, you know, pretty self-explanatory. You know, you have that sort of Keith Randall's are are you know what he's known for that sort of. Combined elves list or the elves list with the formation and that annoying wizard alchemist curse running around on his horse and then, uh, you know, high defense dwarves with shooting. What do you guys think as far as looking at sort of these five archetypes? Are, are, are these resonating with you? Is there any archetypes you think that have been doing well that, that aren't mentioned in that list or maybe speak a little bit to what the meta has been doing maybe over the last few months? Yeah, so I think that covers... You know, you look at the top four most taken armies, it's dwarves, forces of the abyss, ogres, and elves. So, yes, there's the Scorchwing spam, which is a big list archetype right now, but it's actually a smaller number of people taking it. So I think it's missing out on the forces of the abyss, the sort of cronious, well of souls, nasty heel shenanigans that that can do with Molochs or Horsemen as your punch. And then I think it's also missing out, like Salamanders got a lot more popular, uh, probably thanks to, as Tom mentioned earlier, if you have these certain power picks in your list, then the list becomes a lot more viable at Masters. And right now that Phoenix is definitely a power pick. An army that can bring that Phoenix and use it well, which Salamanders I think can, is another archetype that's going to be running around causing trouble. Yeah, I think it's a bit more of like a list approach, you know, archetype than specific armies because you have like, you know, high defense with shooting, you have shooting with like a mix of mobility or alpha strike, or you have, you know, trash with shooting. And I think, or just, you know, pure mind-boggling alpha strike and mobility with like air elementals. So it's like you think you have these kind of overall archetypes and then you see you have to see which armies can accomplish those ones because they seem to be the ones that have the best success across the board like, it's like a little what came first the chicken or the egg right which is yeah you know w this is the style of list that i want to do and which and which are the armies that can do that style well maybe as opposed to i want to play this faction first what does it do well you can approach list building in both those sort of dynamics exactly so like you have some lists like brendan was saying like ogres do relatively high defense and shooting combined well which is similar you know to the dwarf with you know high defense and shooting different different way of doing it but similar kind of you know on a very high level they're similar or you have you know goblins with their shooting and then you have rats can kind of do that as well so then you have like two different armies doing similar things you have the greater elementalists and you have sylvankin who can do that as well but then Sylvankin can add in shooting and mobility, which is similar to what you know normal elves can do. And then you have you know Varenger, who are stealthy, you know alpha strike. Then you have you know the grindy alpha or beta strike kind of you know forces of the abyss. You know scorching spam. You can do it with either 
forces of nature or salamanders. So I think it's like which which army do you want to accomplish the similar goals with? I can't believe you just compared ogres and dwarves. <laughs> Absolute insult to dwarves because there is a huge difference in those archetypes and it's two inches of movement on your basic guys yeah <laughs> there's a very uh, there's differences but it's just about like durability and yeah yeah and shooting from right. from the building blocks it's just the the ogre yes. scenario ogres are scenario monsters and dwarves are well, scenario monsters only with the king on large beast and with uh steel juggernauts i think someone yeah. might be leading into that this tournament though so so here's sort of the way i think the meta has developed and this i laid this out a little bit when i was at adepticon talking to to rob but i think that the magic number in kings right now is 18 and that's do you have enough 18 plus inch threats whether that's you know like speed 10 flyers or shooting that's 18 plus inches to where you can't get abused by I, what I think are some of the most powerful units, which are Scorch Wings and Silver Breeze. Like if you're if you're a Knight base list, for example, where you're you're pretty fast, you're speed A, you can charge sixteen, but you can't get to eighteen, you're not going to do well in this meta. Um, and so that that presents a lot of interesting responses to what I think is the core issue everybody needs to to be thinking about when they're list building. And so. One way of doing that is horde-based shooting, which is the dwarves, the ratkin, goblins, and halflings could do it, although they're not really in the meta right now. So those three main armies have all been doing well because they have things that shoot 18 plus inches. Uh, they have, you know, they, they basically just say, okay, I'm going to totally give up on speed. I'm just going to take infantry and shooting with maybe one or two speed pieces just you know, like Scud or or the, the Tunnel Runners with Sharpness for Rackin, for example, um, or the Goblin Cav Formation. But other than that, they just say, I'm going to concede speed totally, and I'm just going to go hordes and shooting. So that's one way to respond. The other way to respond is Alpha, which is we see, um, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but this has been a consistent list in our meta, at least, with which is the Alohi spam, uh, which says, you know, I have... Defense 5, Iron Resolve, Speed 10 guys who, okay, you get one round of shooting against me, but then I'm charging you with my whole army. Um, Green Lady can do that too with uh, all their uh, Forsaken Knights. You know, that that's a really good uh, way of doing it in Pegasus. And then Varenger, which is interesting, and I've played them at a bunch of tournaments this year, specifically because they're one of the, the armies that can deal with Scorch Wings where they have you know, at least Magnilled and um, and the Lord with Wings, who gives the Stealthy Aura. They do usually take Knights, but their Knights can get Stealthy, so they're sort of like an exception to where it's still okay for them to take Knights in this meta. And then you can also do Grind, where you have, you know, high defense, high healing, which is EOD and Nature, I'd say, are the, are the two classic examples of that archetype. So those are all different responses to to the elf problem or the scorch wing problem uh, as it was. And I think you've seen that a little bit in recent events, right? At Lone Wolf in uh, Texas in April, 
which I know myself, Tom, and Britton were at that event. The final table was Shooty Rats and Scorchwing Spam, right? And then at Vanguard, we see Vanguard GT, which was held recently again. We see sort of the uh, how do I deal with Shooty Rats or Scorchwing Spam. It was on top table at that tournament was Derek Sendstrom and Joey Greek. Derek playing the Alohi a la Alpha List and Joey playing that Varinger alpha list with the stealthy lord right and th that was the top table in that event so in both those events i think it's really interesting because we see the dichotomy between sort of two really really good armies and then evidence in the meta of what type of army would i make to deal with that sort of type of army so a, a, a point counterpoint march of death we saw the same thing it was like sylvan kin with air elementals and glade stalkers and uh tree kin or tree herders sorry and against you know that dwarf formation with you know shooting backing it up so it's like those two kind of takes on the same thing that tom was talking about yeah and then you know uh unit strength is still king unit scoring units are still king and so armies like ogres and abyssals who are very popular you know they can do unit score scoring unit spam so to speak um and the other interesting thing is because the spell word item isn't being taken in every list like it was last masters and night suckers don't have the the spell word uh, monster anymore having 15 plus lightning bolt is actually really powerful and both ogres and abyssals can do that and, yeah. and a lot of the lists are doing that uh at masters so that was something i was going to talk about which is one of the there's these sort of suppressive armies that can exist in the meta uh, you know armies that because they do certain things so well and you are expecting good players to have them at top tables that if you are planning to do well, you kind of have to plan for them and shape your list around reacting to that. And last year it was Night Stalkers. Um, Night Stalkers more specifically with stealthy access to Spell Ward really easily so that they were very, very difficult to, to really gun down with and making Lightning Bolt very not useful against them. And then that combined with Boomer Chariots and other high access to stealthy made a sort of unfriendly to shooting unless you were Glade Stalkers <laughs> um, and could just find ways through that because you shot so well. It made an unfriendly to shooting environment in some of the top tables. With the nerfs to Night Stalkers, a lot of that, a lot of those breaks have been taken off and Lightning Bolt Spam is, is here. And mixed shooting with Lightning Bolt Spam, et cetera, all that's there and it's it's scary out there with those ogre, you know, warlock batteries with the abyssal ones. I expect to see a lot of that going around. Yeah, it's interesting to see like the forces of the abyss like just really lean into lightning bolt and grind. And what we saw, like I guess it was more like a year and a half, two years ago, was all the the flame bearers. They're just they just don't exist anymore in any meta. Like they're just it's I think glade stalkers and scorch yeah. scorch wings just totally just remove that unit's effectiveness there's still yeah. a few trident realm players who are, who are putting uh, heart piercers in but it's like not as many either so it's like i think that 18 inch five speed five unit is just gone yeah and they just it's they get blasted like there were yeah. too many elves too many ogre lists too many things that could look at those units and just free free points pick them up in a turn take them off the board right away like glade stalkers love scene stuff like that what's interesting talking about that though is one we know twilight kin were removed so they're they can't come but there's no sylvan kin um True. and that for me i was expecting at least a couple 
and I'm thinking that's just the people coming. Like yeah. that if certain people had chosen to come and made it out, that they would have brought their Sylvankin, not necessarily reflecting on like too much on a PowerPoint in the army and more about just small sample size and who could make it out to masters this year. Yeah. But I, I wondered if anyone else had a take on that. Absolutely. Like my most frequent opponent, John McCready runs that Sylvankin list that won March of death, like terrorizing the Northeast with it the last year. And then what's uh, Matt Griffin, uh, the Nerdhammer guy, he's been running Sylvankin too. And it's like, I think they do the Glade Stalker. They can combine Glade Stalkers and Aerementals in one list, which is hugely powerful because now you're taking two of the top tier units and you're making them work in tandem. And it is, it's a lot to deal with. And that's why I think it's important to remember this is a single tournament, small sample size, because something's not being brought or something that's being brought more than once isn't an immediate indicator that it's a good or bad list or where it is in the power positions. Because for me, I rate Sylvankin really highly by what you just said. Glade Stalkers plus Air Elementals plus some other toys makes scary lists. The fact that they're not here is just... You know, those generals didn't happen to come. Yeah, I think there's like a lot. A, there's a lot that goes into uh, how a man, how a meta manifests itself. That it's not always directly related to perceived or actual power or lack thereof. Right? It's also who's going, what models do people. There is a little bit of what what do people have ready? You know, I I had the drop from Masters this year. Not that I was going to bring Sylvankin, but just in general. I mean, there's it happens at events where sometimes people can't go or whatever. So there is that sort of uh, hu- human quality too, right? Whether it's uh, uh, what people want or whatever that also influences meta. So it's not always directly a one-to-one from from power to what people take. No, but if you look at the armies that aren't being taken at all, they lack the kind of tools that we're talking about in, in often. Yeah. Or they can't, they can't quite do the archetype as well or almost as well as some of these other armies so you know like yeah like brother mark for example that you could you could unlock with you know human archers and or we saw the kingdoms of men list from two masters ago i think that had all the cannons and and archers so that you can do that that would work okay but it's just not as good as maybe like dwarves or ratkin right now yeah, yeah. When you were discussing the eighteen-inch thing, I, I I felt it deep in the the, the honor guard saddle sores I have uh, from playing the Aurora <laughs> this last year. Cause, like speed seven is just it it's tough this like, at this point in the meta. It is it's just not it's not what it was. I think there's definitely that, that eighteen-inch range band is definitely hugely important. And then yeah, I do think it's there is a good thing to say let's look at the top four or five factions. And when you think about it, those are really strong factions. Dwarves, Forces of Abyss, Ogres, Elves, all its high numbers, and then Salamanders and Goblins, Forces of Nature, bring up the next three. So in the top seven taken, those are all what I would consider very good armies at the moment. Look at the list not taken. Outside of, I think, Sylvankin, and I think maybe one other, but it was mainly Sylvankin, those do look like some of the armies that are, you know, worse in the tier list right now. But so it, it makes sense some there. But I also sort of group in the singles, like the armies that are only taken once are almost the same as the armies taken no time. Those generals just happen to show up. Like yeah. 
orcs orcs are at masters because skullface qualified for masters let's be reasonable right um basilians is a different one because i do think that alohi version of the army is really strong right now so it's interesting only one person brought basilians yeah it's it's an interesting spread from an overall i think there's a pretty good spread there aren't that many armies not taken the top armies take up what i think it's 40 percent yeah so let's touch on that the the list of what what people are taking so uh we have number one dwarves with eight players and then we have a few coming in tied at the six player mark we have forces of the abyss ogres and elves at that six salamanders goblins and forces of nature at four three players taking trident realms three players taking night stalkers undead and Berenger as well along with herd which is interesting two eod players two green lady players two northern alliance players and then like brenton mentioned we have that sort of the one-offs of abyssal dwarves halflings orcs lexus basileans who I, I, that's an interesting list. He did well at Lone Wolf with that with that list, and then one player playing Ratkin, and, and then John Green asked us in our questions, you know, and you, you've already touched on it a little bit, is musing on um, why these other armies that are, have uh, not been chosen, you know, and we have uh, among ones you've already mentioned the League of Rordia, Kingdoms of Men, Order of the Brothermark, Free Dwarves. Uh, Rift Forge Orcs, Rackin Slaves. Let's touch on Free Dwarves first because I think that's interesting because we have at Dwarves as the most selected army at eight, it's all Imperial Dwarves. Tom, I know you've gone over to the short side instead of the dark <laughs> side. The short side. So uh, me, like that. Uh, rift on that for me a little bit. Why, why do we have so many Dwarves and why are all of those Dwarves fascists? <laughs> Let me just defend dwarf players real quick. Um, and I will do it by slandering myself. All of the so there are eight dwarf players, but if you look at who they are, Alex Chavez, Dale Montley, Eric Trowbridge, George, uh, Joe Borghese, John Blakeboard, Mike Rossi, Ryan Munsell, and me. Everybody on that list except for me is a traditional dwarf player or or has been in the past. You know, I think Eric probably Eric, Eric Trowbridge has the the shortest tenure with them, but he's been playing them all year. And so there's only one disgusting power gamer trying to jump on the dwarf bandwagon. Um, and all the other honorable dwarf players are, are just that. So, but it's Did a, you just call a bunch of fascists honorable. I'm just, <laughs> just clarifying. <laughs> it's a matter of perspective. Some people say Vaselines aren't the good guys in the setting. And I don't understand that anyway. So free doors are doors that don't have sharpshooters and don't have juggernauts pretty much, which are two of the key units that make doors really good right now in the meta. And so I don't think it's anything more or less than that, really. And when you look at dwarves, right, when we you, you suss out and break down all the dwarf players, only one of the eight lists does not have at least two or more or mostly three or more units of sharpshooters, right? So that when you're looking at not just what the popular faction is, but within that ecosystem, what people are taking, that sharp sharpshooter seems like a, a, a halo unit or really a, a key important unit. So, you know, um, what do we think about that? What, what do we think that makes the, the sharpshooter so key in these lists? Is it that range you talk about having that reach out and touch you range? Having played with three or more claw shot troops in most of my ratkin lists up until the last year, it's like having some, a cannon essentially that scores that can move late game is 
hugely important. You have something that puts pressure on your opponent from turn one, and it is it's useful every turn. It's a high threat to everything. You know, piercing two means everything is worried about it. Hits on fours, so even if you have cover, hitting on fives isn't terrible, especially when you have three or four of them. And then being able to score, like you don't have to think about having leaving a, a regiment or a troop of something else behind for uh, table quarters or a pillage or salt the earth token. You just have sharpshooters covering a whole firing lane. It's hugely important. Their defense five, so plinking them, you know, counter shooting isn't as effective as you want it to be. It's they're just the perfect tool for that job. Yeah, I think you the defense five is huge there. Um, because it means they outrange some of those threats that Tom was talking about earlier in the meta, and they can survive light shooting or lightning bolts coming back at them. And because they are not just one big unit, you have three or four of them. When you do try and effectively shoot them down, even if you break one of them, you're reducing their shooting by you know 33% or 25% instead of actually stopping it. Um, so even if you send a character over there, do something like that to shut down the shooting, you're you're only shutting down part of it, and they're actually kind of hard to kill at defense five. Um, yeah, and you're not tripling attacks like you are against war engines. It's yep. it's a big deal. Dwarves dwarves don't have extra units to sit around and not do anything. They're they're slow. They need to sort of commit so much of their force to whatever the scenario is, and they need to commit early because they're so slow that having the flexibility to leave something behind in your possibly backfield or flank that still scores is super important. And I think that point really <laughs> leads into it. Like the, the other halo unit in a lot of these uh, dwarf armies is the steel juggernaut because it scores shoots and moves while being very durable. So you're have, you have something that can move and be a pain in the ass and still contribute every turn. And you, you know something's good, right? When of the eight dwarf players, six players are taking favor. Ironheart, right? He is the sort of leader, you know, the juggernaut hero. But mm -hmm. in addition to that, you know, looking at your list, Tom, you're taking three three regulars and the boss. So usually you know units <laughs> has good value uh, <laughs> when you, you want to take the regular version plus you want to take the... Um, the hero version but again is that sort of your thinking it's a, it's a it's a, a a defense six unit unit that scores with both a 24 inch right so to deal with that that you do have a hand cannon right a 24 inch piercing two steady aim you have some elements and it's also fearless right the the juggernauts dash 13 but is that your you, you just like that idea of being able to slowly move up with that unit sit on objectives take part in every phase yeah, exactly. It's it's a very meta unit, like you're saying. It has all the attributes that you want. Uh, defense six, fearless, twenty four inch shooting. It inspires. It scores. That's that's pretty much anything you could ever want in a unit. And these guys have it all. I will say though, it's it's a pretty consensus opinion among dwarf players that uh, steel uh, juggernauts kind of suck. And favor is awesome. That's that's the consensus, and that comes through. Uh, with six of the eight dwarf armies taking him. But I think most, unless you're really leaning into the shooting, um, most are taking one or none. So I don't, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about 
that because it does seem to me as sort of an outsider jumping in on the on the army for masters that they are a good unit but like mike rossi for example yesterday was was telling me he thinks they suck the king on large beast is what it's um competing with i think in that slot yeah. which is a, a monster for scenario something that plugs gaps holds things up and inspires defense six and got a price reduction so they're at price really sort of aggressively at this point um and really good and i think when you look at people not taking the normal version of the juggernaut they're usually taking one to two king on large beast and that's sort of plugging that same gap just without the shooting um, yeah that makes perfect think, sense yeah that that's and i think it's a bit of a a bit of a force multiplier thing too where it's like if you take one you take favor like steel if you take one steel juggernaut you take favor and he's going to be head and shoulders above taking a single steel juggernaut but then if you take two maybe they're like synergizing a little bit better together you take three and you take four and then you have four fearless defense six you know nimble steady aim problems and i think they get better exponentially better the more you take of them unlike some units like sometimes those if you take more and more of something they kind of just compete with themselves they don't necessarily add value but i think with the steel juggernauts more of them makes individuals better and do you think there's like a force multiplier there right at dash 13 defense six maybe you have something that you can deal with one but once you get to too many it's like Am I going to even bother to try to deal with those? And then at the end of the game, they're all sitting on objectives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, Britain brings up an interesting point because I think you take a look at your list, Tom, right? You're taking Faber and three juggernauts and you're only one of the two out of eight players who are not taking Lords on large beasts. Six of the other eight dwarf players all have at least one or more Lords on large beasts. Tom, Tom has got a spam. It's just in his nature. He's got to go fast. He's got to spam. You take, you take three or none. Three or none. That's the rule. He's got his only spams uh, site up. <laughs> now that he's doing filthy dwarf players, you can subscribe. Hit that like button. Um, I think your, your Mantic Army Companion Builder, just when you click once, it just clicks three times. And <laughs> that's how it goes. And you're like, oh, I'm out of points, I guess. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think favors the same amount of points as a Lord and Large Beast. So yeah, the, I, I definitely considered it building one in at least. Uh, but yeah, the, the spam nature in me one one out. And we touched on it briefly, like we we've mentioned it. Uh, the Lord on Large Beast is just such a, a scenario monster, right? And if six six of the eight players playing dwarves are taking a Lord on Large Large Beast with Dale at at three, and then uh, Alex Eric and Joe are taking two and then John and Ryan each have one. Um, but you know, for those maybe who aren't as familiar, why do we love this unit so much? The, the dwarf Lord on large beast. Yeah. So he's a 50 millimeter nimble defense, six good nerve, decent number of attacks. He's not breaking a lot when he goes in, but he he'll put wounds on things. And then in the current meta, like the ability to, turn go off and charge something else nimble after you've engaged with a unit so you can slam them into the front of things and then follow up with the rest of your slow army when he doesn't die and he can go off and cause problems somewhere else because he's 50 mil nimble and can just get out of combats really easily and he's tall so he can charge around things with nimble 
which means oftentimes at the end of the game, they're still there. And when they're still there, a nimble, reasonably fast for a dwarf army scoring unit can just grab objectives, grab table quarters, contest things. They're great. It's that defense six and good nerve means they can actually maybe get to the end of the game when you really need them. So, And they're way under-costed. I mean, not that anybody needed to ask me, but if they did ask me, I would have said 25-point discount on what they used to be is way too much. So that, that they were good too. before. They were aggress- good before. aggressively costed. Like very aggressively costed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, do you guys ever, did you guys ever back in the day watch the McLaughlin group or know what that is? I feel like that way with sometimes. Yeah. It was a, for all you youngins, YouTube, the McLaughlin group, and it was a political talk show on like public television. And the main guy would always ask questions of our, of our, of the staff. So it's like, oh, I'd be all like, you know, uh, Tom, the spy master, dwarf lord on the large beast, undercosted. And then you'll say yes, and I'll go wrong. <laughs> so, if you, so look up the McLaughlin group, and you'll see what that uh, is. Sunday mornings, that was great. Yeah, uh huh. Freddie the Beetle Bonds. I was trying to think of. I had a whole plan to do like a faux McLaughlin group this morning, and I was up last night at two in the morning thinking about what would like what would Tom and Britain's nickname be if I was to ask them a question via like uh, McLaughlin group style. But I just was like, we have too many millennials that I just I left it. Sometimes when you're you know you're trying to be creative, you got to leave things in the trash heap. But um, I digress. But so before we move on from dwarves and we look at forces of the abyss, the last thing is the dwarf formation. Four of the eight players are taking it, which to me, that tells me it's good, but that you can still build outside of having to use it. What are your guys guys thoughts on the the dwarf formation, seeing it at at 50 percent taken? I think that's a great amount for that expensive of formation to be taken at because it means there are either people all in on it or think it's a trap and is too many points for what you're getting or doesn't doesn't fit the build archetype they're going for, that they feel like they can be more competitive without it. And for me, that sounds like a great spot for that big, expensive formation to be in because I feel like you ask most people, especially non-dwarf players, and they're like, the formation is it. It's so good. Why would you not play with it? But then half the people bringing dwarves to Masters aren't bringing it. So I think it's a spicy debate one it's one that's still out in the air for a lot of people so i i like where it's at well you have like people like tom and eric who have very specific you know ideas behind their lists where like it's on a very expensive formation just wouldn't fit but i think it it's a very solid way to build that you know defensible core that we were talking about like you want to shoot and you want to survive and you want your survival wing or section of your army to be moderately effective and i think the formation really helps make the dwarf and infantry a bit more uh larger contributors than just surviving and i think it is interesting i want to pour some um uh diet dr pepper on the street corner for uh kyle timberlake you know kyle is not going to masters this year yet he is in his uh hot tub listening to all things dwarves right now in joy. So if he was going, we would have nine dwarf players, you know, and he was speaking the, uh, the Faber train way back in the day, but um, top flight, high caliber, former master masters players, right? Playing dwarves, but people who've been playing dwarves for a little bit, you know, Chavez is playing for a long time. Eric ran them and did really well at us Ma- or sorry, at uh, uh, Adepticon, right? Yeah. I've been yeah. So it's really interesting since March. So yeah. Yeah. You know, 
Well, cool. So we're going to touch base on the, uh, the sort of next most selected group of armies, which is at six, which is Forces of the Abyss. So we have six players taking Forces of the Abyss. Ben Starter, Bryce Clark, Jesse Garrett, Michael Siegler, Ray Wint. Wint? And I played Ray before, so I, I apologize if I pronounce your name wrong. I think and it's William- Wint. Wint? Okay. Uh, who's who, He's you know well known for playing uh, zombie spam, right? He played that zombie uh, list with tons of zombies a few times at US Masters. And then William Stein. And, and this grouping coming in at about uh, the average of 12.8 drops with 23 unit strength. So a little bit more elite, right? A little bit skewing towards that. You know, if we're looking at the, that sort of 11 to 15 being sort of the reasonable outside of goblins uh, amount of drops, uh, Abyss is skewing a little bit, um, a little bit more elite. But it's interesting, you know, just to kind of get you guys going, what's what's standing out to me is sort of the, this first look at the the forces of the abyss armies is five of the six are taking Cronius's right four of four of the five taking multiple and then we have four of the six armies taking the well of soul so we're seeing that wound mitigation element but what what's sort of what if stands out for you guys as far as this uh, of the force of the abyss why are people liking them i think it's just like that wound grind wound reclamation grind is what you need if you're not going to be shooting a lot, and then they can also add in some, like, you know, with warlocks and Zazuzu and stuff like that, they can do some good lightning bolt output as well. So I think there's that the gr- alpha grind or whatever, if you want to call it beta beta grind, and uh, a li- and enough shooting. It's a good mix. I think when you look at a sh- potentially shooting heavy meta that has been around for a while since they sort of, Tom's talked about this in the past as well, when they (laughs) took the wolves away, all the things that were, uh, basically they let the wolves back into the park um, with elf shooting and and some other really good shooting, that it meant that if you were going to have a combat army, you needed to grind well and you needed to have really good wound removal. And when you look at Abyssals with Regen and Well of Souls and Cronius shenanigans and Drain Life, and all of that, you get into really, really good wound removal and that ability to grind. And I think that's just one of the answers people came up with saying, wait a minute, there's a lot of tools in this list to reach out and touch people with, you know, sort of cheap tortured souls regiments to survive shooting, plink shooting, to shoot back yourselves, to do wound removal and to grind out in combat. And it, it makes a really interesting shell to, to bring in this meta. I did want to give a quick shout out to possibly my favorite named list at Masters, which is I think Michael Sigler with Government Bailout. Oh, that's funny. Da-dum-tsh. Yeah, the pause made it even better. Uh huh. <laughs> Very funny. But no, we all had to unmute before we. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I love that. You know, uh, my brother from another mother, Todd Serpico, always did that. Where you, you, you know, you name all your stuff. We have we've got some really funny funny list and but i think you're right right it's how do i react there's different ways to survive different things you know how am i going to survive this shooting okay well i'm going to have all defense six or i'm going to have wound mitigation another interesting thing is looking at moloch hordes right where three of the six players are running double moloch hordes and even though they are defense four they do come with that regen right so again trying to think about um, if you don't pick me up in one shot that's always been the forces of the abyss thing right it's like 
you put a lot of damage on me, but if you don't kill anything, it's like, hello, Cronius, Well of Souls, all that damage is gone. Yeah, I think if you're trying to figure out where they fit in sort of the classic archetypes, they're, they're actually a grind army. They just do it in a really cool, interesting way. And they're really good at it, which they have to be if, you know, they're not, they don't have the shooting and they don't have the, the speed nine plus units like we were saying you need if um, if you're not going to be a grind build. Uh, so they, they do that excellently. It's interesting. I know there was a debate about the Well of Souls sort of maybe a year ago among Abyssal players. Should, should it, they, it be taken um, or should you maybe take Baal or, or other combinations of units? And it looks like at least these players have answered that question with, yeah, you need the Well of Souls. Um, obviously, you need two Cronius's. Anyone that doesn't have that's doing it wrong. Anybody that doesn't have two Moloch cords is probably doing it wrong. And so that's just that you build a box like you do with, you know, EOD or Nature, who are the other two big grindless, and you say, deal with me. Um, and then you have a bunch of other spoiler units where they have good ones and, and torture souls and seductresses and, and that kind of thing. I will say Bryce Clark's list, I have no idea what he's doing. He's Dustin's buddy. He's an extremely good player. I think he was third at Masters last year, close to it. Um, and I have looked at his list. I do not understand it. If he wins Masters with it, he is Kings of War God, because I don't get it at all. I do appreciate that he's bringing Bale and the Well of Souls, because I think in a world where like the Well of Souls doesn't exist, like Bale is like an auto-include for the for what you get so he's like the perfect mini dragon well and like, you look uh, at you, you look at bryce's list and it's like uh two lower abyssal uh hordes one with dragon shard shield makes sense one one with strider boots and i'm like okay kind of makes sense but then again there's the uh don't call them oath keepers oath breakers unit he does have some kind of interesting stuff what do you guys think about i always feel We've had this discussion now on past scrying gems, past meta breakdowns. What is the army that always is floating at the top of the army that's really good that no one's talking about? It feels like. It's always forces of the abyss, right? And it's interesting. Here we're seeing it six. We're seeing it's why, but why does this is it just me or does this army as in the power levels still sometimes fly under the radar? I mean, I think it's a it's a really good army. I think to Tom's point is that they're a grind list. That's a little weird. And I think that takes a bit of grappling to deal with and figure out and practice with. So I think it's just like, it's not a straightforward list. It's not, you know, shooting. It's not alpha strike. You have to, is a bit more of a planning element to playing a list like this. A lot more synergy has to go into it to make, to get the most out of it. And yeah, I think a lot of times you're like, well, why aren't there more forces of the abyss lists in most tournaments? I think maybe. You know, I think it's just people have had time to like sit with them a bit more in this meta and figured it out. My my theory is there's a bit of human psychology there, um, which is lower unit drop or like lower model count grind lists don't feel as scary until you face one on the table. Normally we're looking at a list, we're looking at like, how's it going to hurt me? How can I hurt it? Where's it going to overwhelm me? How much of this stuff does it have? And when you look, and I think EOD sometimes fits into the same camp. I mean, it definitely fits in the same camp as being like an elite grind list. You're looking at it and you're like, okay, 
it doesn't have that much stuff. These things don't look like they hurt that bad. And then you're on the table and half your army's gone and you've removed none of theirs. <laughs> and you're like, I'm, I'm hitting them. I'm doing charges. I'm getting good moves off and nothing's going away. And you start to sort of realize the real power of the list isn't how much it hurts you or its maneuverability or all these other things. But the fact it just doesn't go away and that you're fighting the full army, you know, still on turn five or whatever. Um, yeah, when everything is essentially like plus four to six nerve, yeah, it, it's 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 a big deal. So it doesn't look as scary on paper unless you know and you faced it and you have that sort of experience. Um, and that's why I think they they fly under the radar sometimes in in the discussions. They don't look as bad until they've they've touched you in bad places on the tabletop. Yeah. There's a little bit of show me on the doll where the abyssal touched you, you yeah. know, happening. Yeah. So and that's you, just my pet theory on it, that it's, it's the no, same I think, reason I think, I think Empire of sense. Dust and sort of um, New York Masters. Uh, there was um, Zettelmeyer's Undead that like didn't look as scary on paper. And then once you played them, you're like, oh, nothing dies and Morgoth is broken. I get it. There's just lists that those grind lists don't feel as scary until you're actually grinding against them. Because like you said, when you look at it, it's a lot of defense four, right? And you're like, well, defense four doesn't equate to, you know, grind. But then once you start looking at it, well, it's defense four with regen plus Cronius wound removal plus well of souls wound removal. It, 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 then all of a sudden you get to a point where it's like, I like what you said, Alex, right? Which is grind, but through a different, a different path. You took, you took a different road through Albuquerque to get the grind still, you know, but you're <laughs> exactly. still, it's still, it's still grinding. Yeah. And everything has fury and, or is fearless. So it's like, it's always doing something. So nice. I also so, think yeah. that it's uh, there's one specific build that really works and takes advantage of all the synergies. But if someone in your meta has done that already, then you don't want to do the same thing. And it's hard, at least in my mind, to build it in a, abyssals in a different way than that sort of standard third mm-hmm. edition abyssal way. So like John Green did that in uh, in our meta in the, in the South region. Any one lone wolf, you know, not this year, but last year with it, and it's done extremely well. It's just, it's it's hard to run that same exact army when someone in your meta is doing it already. Yeah, I think there's a tendency for high-level players to want to have a list that is theirs, right? Unless you're Tom, who just, like, will just build whatever it will win. So you just kind of, <laughs> you kind of want to have your own list. Is that ownership element? I, I take exception to that statement, Alex. Because he's he's not actually winning with those lists yet. Oh, that's right? fair. That's fair. Well, he he won, he won with Tom, other Tom's list. He won with UK Tom's list. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> no shame. Um, and but, you know, before we move off from Forces of the Abyss to our next thing, you mentioned you guys mentioned a little bit of the um, that disruptor unit or whatever, and I want to talk hear your piece. This has sort of been like a unit that's gone back and forth between. You know, people loved it, and then they got an adjustment, and then people didn't, didn't love it, and then they they hit the gym and they started working out, and they got that that TC back, and th- people started loving them again. Is when we take a look at Tortured Soul regiments, four of the six players playing Forces of the Abyss are taking Tortured Souls, and they're not just taking one; they're taking multiple. With Jesse Garrett at the top with four, is that just one of those just solid? I mean, it's only speed eight. It's a fly unit, but it's not speed 10. But just as a as a solid get in your way, if it can get a flank, it can actually do some damage. Or speak a little bit to how does this sort of the tortured souls 
regiment fit into this sort of unique grind style of play? I think with the back and forth with their adjustments, I think the regiment is really the sweet spot. So you have something that is fearless, that flies, and now you know hits relatively hard enough. Like it's it's melee four, but you know CS one, TC one, you're gonna get some damage out of that. But I think you're not gonna you don't see hordes like you used to do in uh, second or early. But now it's like that regiment is just like that sweet spot of value. So you have chaff that is a threat, and you know it's not gonna waver, which is what you need. Like you need something to get in the way and then be able to get out of the way with something like this, with this army that's mostly medium speed with the Molochs and stuff. So you need stuff, that, effective chaff, that can not block up your own units. Yeah, they're just they're just the perfect unit. Um, they're chaff, price at 120, who are also fearless. Uh, but they also hit pretty hard with Crush 1 Thunder 1, and they're very hard to kill with your own chaff because they have the life reach too. So... Yeah, they're they're just better than your chaff, unless we're talking like Pegasus or something. But it is sort of the tier list of chaff. I think they're probably number two. They're the right price, so why not take four of them? I I think they're also a high skill cap unit. Uh, all units sort of benefit from better play, but I think Tortured Souls are one of those where the better player you are unlocks them more and more and more because they can fill kind of multiple roles depending on that exact moment-to-moment scenario. And at 120 points, they're not sort of just throw them away and don't care. You can throw them away and and use them to advance your battle plan, but they're not sort of that traditional just throw them out there, let them die, and then uh, chaff. So I think... Uh, basically, that's a long way of saying I think at Masters you will see a higher percentage of armies with Tortured Souls regiments than you would at another tournament. Just because the skill the skill level is there to fully utilize them? Hopefully, yeah. yeah. And, and people outside okay. myself. Well, cool. We're going to talk about Ogres next. Ogres was also taken at 6. So this is at that, you know, we had Dwarves at 8, Horses of Nature at 6, Ogres at 6, and Elves at 6. So that's sort of the, the main groups we're going to focus on today in our show. So... Looking at Ogres, Ogres is just one of those interesting armies, right? Because it's just, it seems like it's always popular, right? No matter kind of like where it's at, people are always, it seems like it's always one of those just solidly taken armies, no matter what event you look at, people are taking Ogres. You know, before we look at some individual aspects of what people are taking in their Masters Ogre list, why do we think that? Why do we think Ogres just always seem to be in the neighborhood? They're always kind of, you know, around the block party, or what do we think about that? they're really easy to physically build an army of like, I think that is a huge part of it is their large infantry, low model count, generally reasonably low drop. You can paint them up quick. You can get all kinds of sculpts. The Mantic models are really good. So if you want to support Mantic, they have really cool ogres. The non Mantic options out there are many and varied. It's like you can use anything in the large infantry kind of mold so people just have those models and you can get them on the table really quickly to be an effective army, which I think is a huge part of why we will always see a ton of ogre builds, even if they are not that powerful in the meta at the time. But they happen to also be really powerful right now, which means they're even more popular. Yeah, you you have an army that can do most things relatively well, right? 
you have defense six, you have good shooting, you have you know multiple scoring scoring characters that are worth taking. You have warlocks and sergeants that are both like incredibly undercosted and effective. Um, they play you know so that so they play scenarios very well, and they have a good way to project threat. They can have a bit of heal and a bit of grind. If you want to go, you know, you can take chariots, add some speed, a little bit of alpha. Like the only thing they don't do is fly. So like they, they do everything. So if you want, you know, like Brenton's saying, if you want to start an army, it's easy to get it up and running. And they will, you know, fit most of your desired playstyles and do it relatively well. Unfortunately, as someone who ran the nine by nine at Last Masters, and I'm just realizing how awful I am, truly. Um <laughs> we all we've all known that for a while. Um, I think the large bumping down the large infantry and locks to three was the perfect amount. Um, Cause ever, you know, all these lists are the same pretty much. Um, but I think it's, it's a probably a better overall list that people are taking this year than, than a nine by nine, but it's a lot less annoying and ridiculous to fight. So I think that was, th- that change has proven to be a good one. Yeah, I think we've I've had to face this like we call it the seven by seven. So it's like you're placing a couple of the warrior regiments with siege breaker hordes. And I think some people do it with hunter hordes. It's it's a much it's it's a very tough lift list to face. It has a lot of redundancy and just it can it plays at every phase. So I think it's a lot of fun to play. So maybe not to face every every week, but it's you're do it's it's a good all round all comers list. Yeah, and looking at it, you're sort of seeing kind of uh, when we actually look at the list, right? You're seeing a, a, a couple of things stamp stand out. You know, five of the six armies are all are taking siege breaker hordes at at least two or more, with three of the armies taking three. So it's that solid siege breaker horde center push up the battlefield. You know, not not it plays itself, but is a little bit more straightforward of a unit, I think. Right? I mean, siege breakers are just a, a staple of this list, right? Yeah, I think so. And and it's it what's interesting to me is everybody's taking Seasbreaker hordes, even though they went up in, in price, and everybody is still taking Kamagrok, which actually is surprising to me. All six lists have him in, in there. And so you're saying, well, what what did, what are we losing? Well some of the some of the lists can't take the, the three waiver items on their Seasbreaker hordes, you know, and you're not just getting gratuitous uh, items on the warlocks. For example, or you can't just take Drain Life just sort of as an afterthought, just in case you want to use it in one or two games. Some of these lists can't afford to do that, and so I think that the points increase is probably probably were a good thing, um, and ultimately don't affect the list that much. Um, you just don't get don't get extra items that you don't need anyway. So, but that the, the nerfing hasn't changed what people are taking. Yeah, I think the core of just having multiple defense six units with at least, you know, one heal five, I think it's heal five, backing it up is still a huge value. So I think even with the price increases, NOM plus Siege Breakers still works, right? And it's a it's a nice way to build an army. And access to a big stealthy bubble if you want it. Which I think is huge for ogres. That ability to be defense six with some heal. And stealthy means it's a giant don't shoot me sign, which for the most dangerous units in your army is kind of annoying to face. Exactly. 
And you guys mentioned it, right? Six of six armies are taking Namagarok, but more moreover than that, five of the six armies are sort of taking the Warlock Namagarok package, right? Where it's either, you know, one to three, mostly three Warlocks and Namagarok. So you're picking up four unit strength one spellcasters that can try to exist within a stealthy bubble if you're bringing those boomer chariots. You know, we've talked about in the show before, I am okay with armies having things that you want to take every time because that's you want to have stuff in your army that you're excited about that does really well. I mean, do we feel with Namagarak being taken every time that that's just one of those examples of he's fine, he's just a cool unit that everyone wants to have in their list? I think he's more fine now, but he's still see, like adding in that heal is is a really big deal, I think. Even though it rhymes, I don't want to say it like that, but <laughs> um and there I think it's just it adds so much value to your siege breakers or your warrior regiments or whatever. Being able to bring the back wounds on the way in and once you get, you know, in the mix is super powerful for ogres because their medium nerve is their one big drawback. Yeah, the, the heal is good. And also just, I think it's adding him gives you the right amount of lightning bolt to actually really make a difference. Cause there's a trap you can take where you take a little bit of lightning bolt and it never does anything. You'd probably be better off just making them bullies or something, but but going from three to four actually is a significant, significant power increase and really makes that that sort of lightning bolt tactic of you can't just hang out for four turns and not charge me, you know, not work because I'm going to be peppering you with lightning bolts. Um, pretty effective. So I, I don't have a problem with, you know, like Jeff Shokin, John Becker, and Justin Robbins' lists are all extremely similar. I don't have a problem with that. I think instead of looking to complain about the units that they are taking, we should maybe think about how, what are the other units and how can we make interesting lists out of those that don't rely on the same crutches that, that these guys are. And that's a good point, right? Sometimes it's not about uh, bringing something down. It's about bringing other things up, right? So the, the uh, uh, things are more equitable, but like you mentioned, Jeff, John, and Justin are all taking the three Warlocks and Namagarok package, right? And I know they also have some some other elements of shooting in their list. What do you guys think about Hunters? I think Hunters is an interesting unit is that for so long it was under the radar. And now we're starting to see three of the six armies at Masters have Hunter hordes. One has a couple Hunter regiments. You know, what What, what sort of unique flavor? What is a, what is a Hunter? What do the Hunters allow you to do? Speed seven is a big deal in a ogre list, which is like speed six across the board for people who don't want to take chariots or if you want to augment chariots and then, you know, terrain mitigation and then snare are, they're pretty powerful. Like not obviously not, it's not stealthy, but you can combine if you have your boomer chariots, you can combine and snare and stealthy. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. So you can, you know, move through cover with stealthy if you want with them to kind of mitigate their defense for, but I think speed seven is, is the big one. Yeah. we have to remember, we don't have the pathfinder item anymore. So I think most armies should have at least one unit that can go and fight in the terrain and hunters are a really good option. Pathfinder probably has a little bit more value is what you're saying now with, with lack of that caterpillar item. Yeah, exactly. Units that inherently have pathfinder. I mean, or there's a little bit more value there. And it, 
it stacks up with the fact that they have ensnare and terrain mitigation of their own. So they're absolute monsters when you fight anyone in terrain with them. Because um, you can take a charge with your opponent hopefully being minus two down and then fight and then the next round they're still minus one down from your ensnare. I just think I think they're a great unit that just suffers from not being siege breakers. Like <laughs> a lot of these lists are either bringing cheap stuff to unlock or siege breakers, um, and they don't fill either of those roles, which is why half the armies aren't taking them. Um, I think, but they're they're a really cool unit. They're just like those things are basically such an efficient package for the ones not taking them. You can tell exactly what each of those pieces is supposed to do and they've been trimmed down kind of to the bone that there just doesn't look like there's room for them and to your point about tortured souls brenton like i think hunters are a, a higher skill cap unit because i think i faced cory walzer and his hunters and they're it's just in a good with a good player behind them piloting them they're a huge pain in the ass and they're very difficult to deal with and they're very effective so i think again it's like we have this known ogre built that works and like no shade, like it works and you still have to play the game. But I think there are other units in the army that take a bit more practice to get the most out of. And when you do get a hand, handle on them, they're very effective as well. And the hunters are near the top of that list. Yeah. And I think that um, what is also unique, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit of, of, about this in, um, through the the meta lens right and a little bit one or two steps player removed i think looking at this you know this masters is going to have a lot of new players right we've talked about that at the at the top of the show of just the nature of the world and everything that we're, we're we have some new faces at this masters and ogres is an interesting faction and in that we have two and it's from our region right britain ben weiser and nate murray are two players who have never been to masters who are playing ogres and Nate's list is very much hunter heavy. He has four hordes of hunters, but it's going to be interesting, right? As we look at these lists, not only at the inherent um, power or lack thereof outside of who's the driver, but some of these lists is that's another element of all of this, right? It's not just the list. It's who's piloting the list too. So I think it's going to be a great experience for Ben and Nate, both good players, great guys. Nate, the, the Murray brothers are going to be there at Masters. Ben, I'm so happy. He has wanted to go to Masters every year and he's been really working on improving his game and uh, I'm really excited that both these players have a chance to go to Masters and experience that spectacle this year. Okay, awesome. So let's take a look at Elves. Elves are also at, uh, and Keith Randall just went from 6 to midnight. So we're going to talk a little bit about Elves. You know, coming in at six armies, 13 drops average, 23 unit strength. So pretty much right. That's kind of like right in the middle of that uh, 11 to 15 drops that, you know, 23 to 28 unit strength somewhere around there. You know, elves, ha ha you know, have kind of been up. They've been down. Um, you know, they have they have a couple of the boogeyman units. We often talk about boogeyman units. Right. And I think elves have a couple of those. Right. They have. The Glade Stalkers. They have that Archmage with Alchemist Curse mounted with boots. Um, but uh, what 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 do we think about in the Elf lists? Um, is it what we sort of expected to see Elves doing, or what's sort of standing out at you before we get into the exact details, like uh, about what we're seeing with the Elf players? I mean, I knew the formation was BS, but it's nice to see it in black and white here. With yeah, so every six, single yeah, six all yeah. six players are Everybody. taking the formation. Yeah. 
I mean, they shouldn't have been allowed in if they didn't. I think I think um, Adam Ballard it's just rejected. testing. They just rejected any lists that had no formation, and they had to resubmit through the companion. Um, it just it was wasn't a allowed. Testing question: If you're an elf elf player, <laughs> it's weird though because it, it it is extremely good, obviously. But my question is: Is it necessary in the current version of elves to make elves really work? Like, if you took away that formation, would they go back? I think they'd be better than they were at the beginning of of third. I think they're in a better spot, but I don't know if we'd see them reaching the heights that they are. I mean, they've won a ton of tournaments this past year or gotten really close. Um, And so I I don't know. I, I, as a non-elf player who hates elf players, I want them to, (laughs) that formation to go away, but as, as sort of being more neutral, it might be the thing that's making them work right now. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Our elf players around here haven't been using it. And the big elf player has like switched to Sylvankin, so I haven't actually faced the formation yet, so I can't really speak to whether it makes them work. But yeah, it's like, well, okay. So being able to move a flying unit at double its speed and still be able to pivot is huge, right? It's a classic playstyle. You put your Elohi or your Dracons on a, on a flank. You move them up. You use your one pivot. So the fact that those um, regiments of Dracons in the formation get nimble and spell ward, meaning they're a little bit more tricky to deal with. Um, they, I think they facilitate and allow so much of the army because they can move into sight lines and still be threatening with a pivot. Like I'm going to move out of your arc and pivot and still threaten you. I think it, in having played against this list recently, it really does. I think the formation does facilitate a lot of the other things the list can do. I mean, when I, when I look at that, I, how did we play second edition? Like, how did elves not win every tournament? <laughs> right. Because they just had nimble on, like, hordes of dragons. And, re- like, this formation that is so good is sort of just giving them back stats from second edition. And I'm like, how did anyone lose with elves in second edition? Um, but besides that, yeah, I think elves, elves are in a scary spot right now, um, which is kind of what they're either kind of over nerfed and useless or really scary and i think they're in that really scary spot in the meta with the formation the absolutely like oppressive amount of magic and shooting they can bring it's it's you are playing against an army that has the ability to punch you hard at range but you cannot maneuver against it for a long time because you are probably losing the shooting war or losing key pieces in the shooting war um, during that time that you are trying to avoid getting sort of surrounded or pulled apart. So it's yeah. a, it's a very oppressive army to play against. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how these six do. My big surprise is how few Dracon hordes are being brought That's um, my big by the other, well. the other. Yeah. List. So let's look at that. So of the six armies, only three of the, six players are taking Dracon hordes and it's only one apiece for Russell Romano and Jason Burr. And then Keith brings two. That's kind of sort of his standard list. So though everyone is taking the formation to get Dracons, only half the list is, is thinking about adding in more. And that could be like, I hate to say it, but that could be model dependent, right? Like 
they had two hordes from second edition and they had to make regiments and <laughs> or they had a horde from second edition they had to make regiments so they're making do but yeah it's interesting to see there could be some replacement with like silver breeze as well because with the buff to silver breeze in the light like the the, the price reduction there could be some you know there's a, f- a f- there's only one person taking three Gladestalker regiments. The other are taking two or one or none. And I think that's a shift over to Silver Breeze. And so with the this, this shift to Silver Breeze, it gives you other fast elements. Like, obviously, they don't hit nearly as hard as uh, Dracons, but it does give you some ability to range out and have that speed. Because like Tom was saying about that 18-inch range, threat range, they dominate both sides of that. They do in melee and it was shooting like they have long range shooting like 20 24 plus steady aim or 18 plus speed 10 steady aims like they're threatening out to 28 30 inches with their shooting and then they all have a bunch of flyers or cavalry that are speed 10 so i think it's just, they just dominate that 18 plus inch range zone like pro- pretty much no other army and I know some people are, you know, I know uh, Keith takes them, Eric Schaefer has them in their list, but there are some people taking the Stormwind Cav as a Speed 9 reach out and touch you, but maybe one that's a little bit cheaper. So we are seeing, I don't know, I mean, it doesn't feel like Dracons and Stormwind Cav are direct parallels, but but maybe they're somewhat related, and if you would pick one or the other? Yeah, I think unlike other Cav, they they can charge that magic 18 number. Um, and so they're not, they, they, they complement the Dracon's 20 inch charge and the 24 plus or, or 24 inch uh, shooting. So a lot of, a lot of these lists are building in at least one of the Stormwind with the, with the Quicksilver upgrade to make them nimble, which is even without c- comboing that with Pathfinder, like people normally did, it's still pretty powerful. So what are people taking other than the Dracon hordes? They're taking Therenian Seaguard hordes, which are also very meta with Phalanx and 24-inch shooting. Um, so I don't... You don't need to take three Dracon hordes. Um, you don't even really need to take two, although Keith is. So I, it is a little surprising that three lists have zero, but um, there are some good substitutes. I think this really speaks to the strength of the elf list overall. I think remember at the beginning of second or beginning of third edition, everyone was freaking out about palace guard hordes, and I think there's like a palace guard regiment, maybe a, a troop or something like that. There's there's not many palace guard being used because like that defense four infantry that can't shoot is a little bit uh, at risk now. But with everything else in the list, you you have like this combined arms shooting, or you know alpha strike combination. And like you're saying, the Iranian Sea Guard have that ability to survive a, an alpha strike. So they kind of mitigate the one of the strong builds as well. You know, and we see Gladestalkers. We all know Gladestalkers, and five of the six lists are taking Gladestalkers, uh, you know, at either one, two, or three uh, drops. Uh, one thing that I found interesting, and I think that I wouldn't say it's under the radar, but maybe it's not as in your face Four of the six lists are taking the Archmage with Alchemist Curse mounted with Boots of Levitation. I think that piece is so good that I'm maybe surprised not all six have it, but to me, 
that is such an amazing anti-meta, which is how do you deal with elves? You are shooting or whatever. You take high defense stuff. Okay, I'm going to have a wizard that can, you know, move at the double and get anywhere I want it to get out of your line of sight and alchemist curse you to oblivion. But I think that piece is so hard to deal with. There are so many other threats you have to deal with at all times with elves. Like every every part of their army is threatening you. Like threat saturation. Them. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you Good have... Point. You have all these flyers, you have all these shooting elements, and it's just like, you know, 10 of the 13 units are directly threatening you every turn. And it's just like something like that Archmage can just literally fly under the radar. Just like you can't devote a piece or anything to deal with it because everything else is a problem every all the time. Yeah, and the, list, the two lists that aren't taking it are uh, Jesse Bergman and Jason Burr, who are extremely good players. And looking at their lists, it looks like they decided to swap that uh, AC mage for a second uh, Dracon Lord, but they also have a lot of other individuals. So maybe they were thinking, well, I need to build in another scoring unit and I can't just, yeah, just too, much, too much invested in individuals. Maybe that's it's a like lot the, of points for a non-scoring unit. So the slider there, they needed to slide it a little bit to the left or right based on it. Because it is, you're right. It is a lot of points. Um, and remember this is a Kings is a scenario game, right? But I just know uh, uh, playing against that uh, at Adepticon, uh, I played against Keith's army. And it was just, oh, and I mentioned it on our live stream for um, uh, Rob's tournament. But I have a Keith crying bounty. So if you beat Keith and he's crying at the end of the match and you send me photographic evidence of that, I will send you a countercharge swag. So just FYI, for those playing Keats at Masters, send me proof of his uh, malaise or melancholy, and you get free free stuff. So, And if you need any tips on like what to say to make him really upset, just DM me. Yeah, touch base with Alex. You know, we're just trying to make sure the, 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 the earth spins in the right way, trying to build that community and fellowship and that love. And, uh, you know, love is uh, directly related to uh, Keith's sorrow. So let's get yeah. let's get things just, going in the right direction. Yeah, just send that evidence to the crying gyms at uh, gmail.com <laughs> and we're, we're good to go. <laughs> Again, another thing I was thinking about was trying to sing a song to the tunes of uh, Crying Game. But uh, listen to this crying gems. But I'm not a singer, so but. Uh, Paige, if you ever want to get, in, you want to uh, uh, go from memeing to uh, original song creation, you know, there's a there's a an area for that. So, so okay, so those are the sort of the the top numbered factions. But before we wrap up, I want to touch base on a couple other things and get and get your guys' points because I think there are some some armies that are uh, uh, that I want to sort of. We're not going to go into as deep, but maybe kind of touch base. Uh, goblins is an interesting one to me right kyle Poole, jeff o'neill um varinger or uh has has some strong builds so what do we think as far as meta and you know going back to sort of those original kind of archetypes that, that keith was talking about that we haven't talked about yet that we won't go into as much detail but is there anything else that's standing out to you guys list wise or meta wise at masters the the Basilia all gas no breaks army is still scary. The the Alohi both in regiment and horde, backed up by phoenixes. The phoenixes are really good right now. The Alohi are really good right now, especially in combined charges. It's it it is a list that will absolutely just run over unprepared armies. Um, 
and just blanket your entire battle line with things, kill off half of it, and then hunt the rest down. Um, so it's it's beatable, definitely. It's not one of those you look at and you just give up. But I think it's it's pretty scary, and I'm surprised yeah. there aren't more of them at Masters. Yeah, being piloted by Lex out of Texas, a gentleman and a scholar, two, truly great guy. I made one horrible mistake against him at Lone Wolf, and he just rolled me up. That list is a list that you cannot make mistakes against because it just will reach out and punch you. Just as a quick aside, at Mark Cox's team tournament, Lex paired up with another guy in our region, Jordan Braun, who brought – so Lex brought his half was all Alohi, and Jordan's half was all Scorch Wings. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. <laughs> and I had to play that in the last round. It was, Awful. It was – oh, my goodness. Vomit in my mouth. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, okay. what I really uh, – and, and Jeremy, part of this is you not being able to make it, um, and maybe Adam Ballard not being able, you know, running it instead of yeah, playing I, it. Yeah, I feel but, where you're coming from. Yeah, but EOD, you know, if you think about it, and another thing we haven't really talked about is Jeff Radigan's horribly <laughs> oppressive scorching list, which yes. I think has shifted. Just the threat that you might face uh, that list has has shifted the entire meta. Um, you know anything that elves didn't do the scorch ring sort of put pushed it over the top. Um, and so that's not exactly the position you want to be in though, where everybody's built beating to build your list. Um, like for example, me, uh, that list is an anti radigan list. Um, mm-hmm. but so if you, th- if you think about what counters the scorch rings, it's things like, like high defense doors with shooting. Well, what counters the counter? And that yes. door's worst enemy, weirdly enough, is Empire Dust because you can't shoot them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have crush everything. So when they get into you, um, they're just going to tear up the dwarf hordes and the defense six they don't care about. Shobuk doesn't care about defense six. Um, and so I think there's a really good opportunity for Dustin Howard and Tyler Schultz to do some damage in this, in this meta. Um, was sort of the anti-anti meta, and I, that's why I picked EOD. And you know, I was wor- we were you know, and you were part of that workshop process, Tom and uh, Ryan Munsell and a couple other other people working on that EOD, my EOD list, which is how do how do I survive in this meta? Which is how do you survive against the Scorch Wings, or how do you survive against the the Sylvankin or Elf, you know, shooting spam or whatever? You just make an army that is just impossible to kill. Yeah, so that I thought that was interesting too. It only two EOD, but one of the two being on your handful of uh, 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 picks, maybe being a top uh, a top pick. But yeah, I think that's interesting. You bring up a thing about Jeff Radikin's Scorchwing spam. It's there is power in identifying a list within the meta that is really really good. But sometimes isn't it better not to be the number one list that's so good in the meta, but be, maybe be number three or four so that p- your list is still really powerful, but people aren't like building. Whereas everyone knows if I'm going to Masters, I have to have a plan to beat Scorchwind's spam because everyone knows how good that list is. So essentially you're, you're entering a field of 63 other players who have thought about specifically how would I play against your army? But he's not going to play all 63 of them, right? they're still going to be good matchups as well as bad matchups for that army in the, in the field. Um, and sometimes the power of the list is strong enough that that's worth it. Right. Brad's Brad's army and 
Texas. Uh, you know, I thought Adam's Army last year was one of the big, scary poster boys of the tournament, and it was that big and scary and overpowered. So sometimes the the list that is beatable but is very tough to beat, it's still okay to just be that top scariest list at the tournament. Um, but we'll see with this one. The thing for me is that Radigan's sort of getting all of the Scorchwing kind of hate because it's a filthy list full of Scorchwings. But there's a lot of Scorchwings in other armies that pair it with um, a more sort of diverse or a different archetype. So while you might only be facing one all Scorchwing spam Jeff Radigan list, there's a lot more Scorchwings in that hall over that weekend that you're going to be seeing on the table. So if you built to kill Scorchwings, you'll, you might have a target-rich yeah. environment. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. a, a flavor to taste with Scorchwings throughout yeah. the year. the forces of nature and you have, you know, uh, salamanders. <laughs> so, but I think for me, like... And herd. Always... Herd as well. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's true. They're everywhere. <laughs> I always hate goblins, so I'm just going to put out my, you know, usual PSA screw goblins but uh i think i was a little bit surprised at the lack of the the shooting slashers and then everyone pretty much has opted just for more more bodies and i think that may be in response to the amount of shooting because i think with you have a big height six target that gives all those scorch wings and elves something to shoot at that you don't often get in a goblin army so I think the initial rush and uproar over the shooting slasher may have been overblown. So you're thinking maybe the, the, a way to deal with that shooting for goblins is to just take a blade of armor of hordes that it's like, gee, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> just think, shoot my bodies. Absolutely. And then just number, yeah. like, so you can take three war trombones and, you know, some bangets. And like, that's like, and all these different smaller, it's like, again, the sharpshooter argument where you have four of them instead of like a big shooting horde right? you have mm -hmm. all these individual things that are harder to get rid of and harder to disrupt because you just have you know target saturation and i think that's where the goblins have gone and we'll see how that works against the high quality shooting that's out there because they're just going for volume okay so let's as we wrap up the show let's go round robin and i want to ask you guys two things i uh we're going to go ahead and give give our picks and I'm not going to ask you for, uh, you know, who's going to have the best hat or who's going to be wearing the best. Just give me just one. You can say, I'm, this is my dark horse and that I want to look at that. Or this is going to be the best painted army, or this is going to be who I think is going to win masters. I'll let you decide what your one pick is going to be. And then also in looking at all these lists, I just want you to pick out one thing you're interested about, whether it's uh, you're curious to see an interaction or maybe a unit that you were surprised or not surprised that, that you're really curious about. So give me one narrative that you're curious to see unfold and then one pick, and then just let us know sort of what arena that pick is going to be. And let's go with you first, Britton. Oh boy. Okay. You made me go first. The narrative for me is the unique nature of this masters of the recent ones in which we have a smaller number of returning masters. We have a smaller number of returning masters players. I feel like we have a lot of first times masters players um, and what sort of energy and change that's going to bring to the room and to the table and to the games. I think there could be a lot of shocks in this one, some new players doing really, really well. 
And I think that's that's awesome. I think there'll be some sort of new blood in the room and not just sort of the same the same old faces and, and heads. So I'm I'm interested in that narrative. Like what does a bunch of new players going to this Masters tournament mean for for the room, the scene, the results, etc. So I'm excited about that. And then it's really hard to pick. And I I like you guys just talked about. I think the Empire of Dust are extremely well positioned in the meta right now, um, extremely strong, and there's only a small number of them coming. Uh, so I think my pick to curse him once again might be um, Dustin Howard. He did really well at Lone Wolf. He's coming in on some good results, and he's playing an army he's super comfortable with, Empire of Dustin. But I think there's a lot of other people in that room that could that could take it as well. Okay, Alex, let's go you next. So same thing, narrative thread, you're interested in following for the weekend, and then a pick. Okay, so it's kind of just what we've been talking about, but the narrative of the power lists, the power units versus the counters that people have been bringing. So, I'm, so we have these power shooting lists, and then we have some counter counters to that and i want to i'm really curious to see how the narrative of that plays out like will the counters work or will the power units work right so are scorch wings going to dominate or are the people the lists that people are brought have brought to counter that are they going to work that's what i'm really curious about i minor sub thread i'm like my i heard was my first army for kings of war so i'm curious to see how the three herd armies do <laughs> which is kind of a sub thread of the scorchwing thread but yeah i'm really interested to see what that counterplay power play dynamic works and you know how if there's going to be like you know the dark horse sneaking in but behind and around both of them and then i'm going to you know what i i'm just gonna i'm really curious to see how i like, Eric Schaefer has a really interesting elf build and he's been playing it really well. It looks great. I've been following his progress, painting it up on the, the nerd hammer page. And I'm really, I think he's just a top level player and I think he's going to do really well this weekend or that weekend. And I think I'm going to pick him. And they becoming more of a force, right? When we think about yeah. clubs or groups and in the past, it's a lot, it's been a lot of uh, dojo, this dojo, that, or whatever, but the yeah. nerd hammer guys, they've been really all throughout the the southeast, mid Atlantic, northeast, right, have been doing really well as a group. Yeah, they crushed it at Crossroads. Uh, thanks to us for uh, when we knocked the we tied the aristocrats around five, let them uh, let them win. But uh, so they owe me one. Don't forget. And then, but he Eric played EOD a lot leading before Elves, so he knows how they work. So I think he's in a good position for Masters. If he if he ends up going against Dustin, yeah. Like if, 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 yeah. So we're talking about like you know what works against sure. you know the shooting spam EOD, mm -hmm. but if he has to face one of those guys round four, five he's or had six, some experience with he it. He knows how that army works very well. Awesome. Okay, Tom, um, regale us with the knowledge. What is your narrative takeaway? You're interested in following, and then also your pick, and then. It's really come to surface just how much of a jerk you are in reviewing what you take the Masters every year. So I don't know if you want to like respond. You know, I'm going to give you the floor to respond to that. And uh, uh, go ahead. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so my narrative is 
Man, what a great game we have. Like, I there is no list this year that I'm like, that's just unbeatable. Um, there's the balance is great. A lot of different armies are doing similar things, but with you know, comfortably within the Kings of War Holy Trinity, which is Alpha versus shooting versus grind. Um, there's been a lot, a lot of armies that are viable, uh, which is difficult to do with 27 of them if we don't count Twilight Kin this year. And so, you know, I'm just really happy where we are. I think it's only going to get better with some of the Clash of Kings changes that that might be coming at the end of the year. You know, so I'm just I'm looking at this and, and happy with with kind of where we are versus even last year. And so that's that's my overall thought. I'm just interested to see how the how the alpha versus shooting versus grind plays out. One thing that I, I think I said this last year, but I was talking about it again recently, which is it's impossible to build a list that that counters everything or that can respond to everything. Um, like even Dustin's Empire Dust, he's he's tested against the Scorch Wings. He does not want to play the Scorch Wings, but the odds that he will are not that great. So what he did was smart and built to beat everything that's building and beat the Scorch Wings. Um, it's just impossible to build the perfect list, which makes it fun. It does make it more matchup dependent, which large tournaments like Masters always are very matchup dependent. So I don't know, I'm just... Uh, I guess parody is is the overall theme and what I'm excited about. And as far as a pick, you know, that parody makes it hard because um, I, I don't know. There's no clear favorite to me like there maybe has been in, in the past couple of years. I think it's going to be someone who is a veteran player who's been to multiple masters and is playing a list that they didn't just borrow from a friend to take the Masters for the first time. I think someone like Keith Randall, someone like Jeff O'Neill, you know, someone like even Jeff Shulkin, he's been playing his, his Ogres all all year and dominating with them. I think it's going to be someone like that that's going to come out on top this year. And so if I have to pick between Keith and Jeff, uh, I'm just going to go tradition and, and say Jeff's going to come out on top. So I think this might be the year that Jeff... O'Neill gets it done. And he's been in the wings for so long, right? I mean, he, and that list has been so, when you talk about like meta defining lists, Jeff O'Neill's list has like defined a lot in like a whole swath of area of a country, right? On what people take. And you bring up an interesting idea, which is I'm not going to make my piece. Like the first level, like normal skilled brain is like, I got to make a list that has to deal with this list. And then you start getting to the players like, Dustin and like the super high level players. And they're like, I don't even care about that list because there's one of them in 64. I'm going to make my list that does well against the type of list that people are taking. To, right. to, to, it's like, I know, you know, that, you know, that I know, right. Uh, uh, straight up like princess bride, where's the poison in which class. And that's, what's so fascinating to me looking at the, these lists is just all the stories. And that's why I ask you guys that narrative question. We, we really do have a great game. And like pulling out the data for this show is I went through every single list. And it was a lot of really interesting stuff. Like nothing, like different stuff, different stories, different units, names. This is the first Masters I've seen that has so many names that I don't even know. I don't know who they are. And, I, and not only is that good, I think that 
what happens when you go home after you play in an event like this? You're excited, right? You're jazzed. You're, you're pumped. And that's one of the things I think I'm so happy seeing all these players, you know, uh, it's like the, I'm all happy and not at all sad as on master's weekend, I'm going to be at home and not there just crying, sending Tom and Britain uh, messages being like, <laughs> what are you doing? What's everyone, where are you guys going for dinner? What's happening? You know, but it's just, I'm excited that so many new players get to experience the grandeur of masters and then take that excitement, take that passion, go back to their home region. So as we're going into new, new twilight kin, uh, new Clash of Kings, like you said, Tom. We're going into like it's exciting time, and we're only it's only just beginning, right? So I feel this is a real inflection point for our game. Is that I think a lot of positive stuff's going to come out of this Masters. Well, awesome, fellas. Any any final thoughts uh, as we wrap up the show? After doing this cast, I'm pretty bummed that I couldn't make. Yeah, it me too. Year, so I hope everyone ha- has a great tournament. Good luck to you too, and well to Britain. Uh, I'll, t- I'll need all the luck I can get uh, with my all fun luck line. Must go on to Brinton and none on to Tom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Good luck, Tom. Uh, I've I've already secured yeah, best abyssal dwarf player. So Woo! sweet, get, coming in hot. I'm uh, I'm excited. Where Dustin is driving up with uh, what he's terming the battle bus. He's rented sort of a I don't know, like a camper van or something <laughs> like that, and he's going to pick pick me up in Dallas on the way up to Omaha. Uh, we're playing D and D games based in the Kings of War uh, universe and, and some other shenanigans. And so Sweet. that's probably going to be my number one. So what, what I think of when I think of the battle bus, I think of like a Scooby-Doo van with like old school 80s D&D art, like all airbrushed on the side of the van. <laughs> all the super buff, like Frank Frazetta picture, like like on the side of the battle bus. <laughs> Scooby-Doo meets Mad Max meets Frank exactly. Frazetta. Exactly. Uh, witness me, you know, just like yeah. a combo. I love it. I love all that stuff. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks everyone for listening. Stay tuned. Uh, going to be there's going to be streaming. Matt Carmack and uh, at all are going to be working on. So stay tuned to that. Um, I know uh, Rob is going to be there with all the podcast stuff, doing tons of on uh, on site recording. Bummed I can't be there, but I'll be sending all you guys uh, mental hugs. But yeah, have a fantastic time, everyone going to Masters. Appreciate it. It is a a really exciting event. And remember to always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Counter Charge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.